This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. I want to get to this amazing comparison of New York City to Toronto, and I don't know that it's concerning. The numbers are really concerning for what New York's losing in terms of not just people leaving their city, but businesses leaving their city. The cities aren't as comparable as you might think in terms of data or in terms of demographics or physical shape or geography or any of that stuff. But it's worth bringing up and it's worth bringing up in light as well um, compared to the new story that has everybody talking about housing. Of course, we are. And yesterday, the city of Toronto did another thing that they have to get better at doing or at least consistent with doing it. And it's asking for more money from elsewhere. We've talked about this last Thursday. The city deemed it necessary to say we want more help from the province and we want more help from the federal government for different aspects of funding housing and and for our budget as well. They even said we might even want a municipal sales tax, which I've advocated for the concept of, but I want it taken out of the HST. I don't want you taxed anymore. And trust me, I heard it from enough businesses and people that own businesses in Toronto proper that don't want to charge their customers another 1%. They know their own costs are up. They know people are struggling to you know, have a big night out or come and have dinner or they're having a couple drinks at home before they go to that big event, that ball game, that concert, whatever, and they're not coming to their particular establishment and paying, you know, Toronto prices for, for those things. So yesterday I see that the Canada-Ontario housing benefit is getting topped up. The city of Toronto says new applications are being accepted. How about a one-time $13.4 million top-up to the Canada-Ontario housing benefit? But the concept is they want the province and the federal government to kick in what they believe is their fair share. Remember, I just used the word fair. I hear Olivia Chow use it a lot. Fair. Something life isn't. The people of Toronto deserve something that is ah, a tenuous phrase at best. Who deserves what? There's baseline levels of human dignity. But there are also concepts of of economic prudence and economic stability that the city has to seek out. All of these things can be true at the same time. There's also the notion that Olivia Chow, the mayor of the city of Toronto, is asking people to give out of the goodness of their heart, not just a donation to charity, not just something that could help somebody get through a, a week of meals or uh, something for their community or their own time to volunteer, but actual rental units, things that are scarce right now are rental units for people to live. And uh, Chow seems to want you and others, this ask is still there, donate your rental unit to people you don't know and have never met and maybe you never actually will. Now, this has legal implications here. There is no question about that. Um, And you'll get a tax receipt as in the city will attempt to make you whole. They need the space more than they need to save the money right now. But in reality, and I'll tell you why in a second, they need a little bit of both. Here's Olivia Chow yesterday. We're urging people that have vacant units to come to the city website, toronto.ca backslash donate. It's part of the donate TO website. So that the property owners 
can offer some of these spaces that they have, and rent will be paid. Um, to whether they're homeless folks, mom, families, uh, or people from refugees. Look, people want to be benevolent, and they want to be caring, and they want a good community. But it's a hell of an ask in this day and age. Not just because you may not get the rent you'd get if you rented that out under private circumstances, but I'll point this out. This was nowhere in Olivia Chow's platform when she ran for mayor. She didn't tell you, me, any of the other candidates or anyone who voted for her or didn't vote for her. You know what I'm going to do? You know how I can solve housing? I can at least partially solve it? I'm going to ask people to give up rental units to refugees. I That would not... I'm not sure that would have been a successful campaign platform, but she got elected and she's doing it now. And by the way, you'll have a tough time convincing me, convincing me that uh, people who are homeless mixed in with people who are just arriving to this country and are unhoused and are, and are looking to, to start again a baseline of their life in a very expensive city. We could debate that until the cows come home and figure out if that's right. And affordable Toronto homes make sense. Toronto will be unaffordable for a lot of people, always. And that's just how big cities operate. London, England, Paris, France, Tokyo, Japan, you name it, LA, Chicago, you name it, big cities are going to be unaffordable. You're you're going to have those conversations saying, I know that we need this much income to afford to live in this particular city. There's people still on strike at Metro at the grocery store, right at the grocery chain. Fourth week of a strike heading towards day 28 this weekend. And they say they can't shop at their store. So they sure can't afford an $800,000 home without a partner doing better than them. There's people that have worked at Metro 20 years and have made, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21 bucks an hour. I don't think they can afford to buy a home in Toronto if they got in before it got really expensive. Great. Fantastic. And I don't blame them for fighting what they should rightfully get from these grocery giants. I don't blame them for that. But I see this stat from New York today, and it's something I'll go into a little later on the show. I've only got a little bit of time now. Here's the headline. New York loses $1 trillion in Wall Street business as firms flee the city. A giant sucking sound is coming out of Wall Street. It's siphoning staggering sums of money out of the Big Apple and handing business to Florida, Texas, and other states farther south. 160 Wall Street firms have moved their headquarters out of New York since the end of 2019, taking one trillion, I said trillion, uh, in assets under management with them. That's according to Bloomberg. Why? Big taxes, exorbitant cost of living, rampant crime. People can do their work at home and they're fed up and they're gone. Where's the number for Toronto? I'd love to see it. I'm worried. It's maybe not as high as New York, but it's concerning. And it's only going in one direction. And that affects the bottom line in the city of Toronto. That's something to be aware of and concerned about. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Prime Minister talked about his personal life. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. It wasn't just photos. He's not just at a movie. He was back and forth. He was on vacation to Fino with family. We talked about that yesterday. But now he's in PEI. Uh, we saw Christian Freeland go out. All I know is she had a flannel shirt and two boxes of donuts. That's all I know. That's all I saw. I didn't hear her speak. She took a picture with Danielle Smith, and then she flew to a cabinet retreat as well in Prince Edward Island. But, but 
Here's the 40 seconds that I don't know that they matter the most, but we had yet to hear Justin Trudeau speak publicly about separating from Sophie Gregoire Trudeau. They announced that three weeks ago tomorrow, as a matter of fact. So we're at 20 days and um, and rather significant. Let's face it. First person since his father in the 70s to split from his wife while prime minister. We just haven't had too much political slash personal turmoil among many of our Famous politicians, John Tory, accepted. Here's Justin. Yeah, that was a big one. Justin Trudeau yesterday talking about the separation. Um, first, I want to thank all the people who've reached out um, over the past number of weeks uh, with warm wishes, with personal messages, with uh, personal stories uh, that that have been just wonderful and positive. I got um, a really good ten days. Uh, with the family, to focus on the kids, to focus on uh, being together and moving forward. And I really, really want to thank uh, Canadians for having been so incredibly gracious and incredibly generous in respecting our privacy and our space. Uh, it really um, it really makes things easier. Okay. I'm going to find it really tough to be too cynical about anything he said about that. Uh, I think that's from the heart. I don't think you go into a marriage thinking it's going to flop. Um, but Sheba, you and I talked about this yesterday, whether or not they were carrying on um, the stiff upper lip, the public appearances of hand-holding and getting their vaccinations together is is certainly up for debate over the last couple of years. Um, but I, this, this, nobody can really criticize what he said yesterday. How could they? No, they can't. Uh, but I also think that he's, listen, I don't doubt it. He's, he's, he does seem like a family man in terms of he's very involved with his kids. He loves them. They're, I don't think that's an act. I think that he genuinely enjoys spending time with his family. But, you know, if a little bit of, uh, uh, pity and sympathy towards him helps for the next election, that doesn't hurt either. That doesn't hurt either. The struggling dad, the single dad who's trying to keep it together while working full time, while running a country. Uh, I I mean, I, I, he's a politician. That's what politicians yeah. do. It's nothing personal to JT at right right now at this moment. This is what politicians do. And abs- in terms of putting on a front for the country, of course, when you're in such a public position, let's say you're not headed for divorce, but you get into a massive fight before a huge dinner. <laughs> of course you have to go out there and put a <laughs> smile on. Of course you do. Yeah. Cause yeah. the cams are all on you. Yeah. The cams are all on you. I, I do feel like people are going to care so much about policy um, in the next election and they should always care about policy. Of course they should, but it just feels like there's this competition between um, Trudeau and like we're watching the makeover of an image with Pierre Polyever. The glasses are gone. The t-shirts happening. The makeup. We saw this with Aaron O'Toole as well. Remember Aaron O'Toole? Remember that picture of him? Black t-shirt, arms crossed, looking buff. They had him working out. They had him like, this is what they do. Any opponent, opponent they put against PMJT, they have to revamp their image. They have to give them some sex appeal. Why? Because Justin Trudeau, whether we like him or not, is very sexy. He is. What man in his 50s, A, has that much hair in his head, okay, other than you, Brady, and <laughs> looks that good. And then, and, and he flaunts it. He knows it. He goes running without a shirt on in public places. He knows he looks good. Has that happened that much? I know he boxed way back when. Has that happened recently? Not recently. Well, I'm sure it, it ha- well, it will be now. I'm telling you, he is Canada's most eligible bachelor right now. Well, he's got. And he's not. He's he's a very attractive man. He is, 
Call a spade. Just take the politics out of it. I, I, if he was I, I, walking down the street, I know you believe bar, that. And I, two things are true. You're you believe it, and you're brave for saying it. Both those things. <laughs> Both those he's things. A, you know, he's a good-looking guy. If you saw him in a bar, if you saw him somewhere, he would. If he walked in for a meeting, we'd never seen this guy before. Didn't know who he was. <laughs> we had a meeting with him this morning. We would both be a little flustered. I, both of us. <laughs> I uh, I don't know if I'd be as uh, flustered. Um, it's you know, it's not like Elizabeth May's dropping by. But listen, um, the funny thing is when I think about this is that, like I said, I don't know that he can go. I don't two things. I don't know that he's going to get divorced. He's separated and that gives him the space. The divorce can be for after he's done with politics. So then I wonder if if what's the difference to you? Because I don't think you can carry on in public with a with a girlfriend. That's just we just don't see that. We don't see public figures, presidents, prime ministers with a quote unquote girlfriend or boyfriend. We just don't. And whether people can make I think every, he'll be, but he loves to break. He loves to be the guy doing the thing first, especially in front of the cameras. I think he's going to do it. Yeah, but it's going to have to be very, very respectful to Sophie the way that he does it. Like like Donald was with Melania. Um, <laughs> how many times did she roll her eyes skyward when he tried to like grab her hand or he made her stand next to her or whatever? I. I couldn't even or or Bill and Hillary again. We don't that that what's gone now is that concept of tension. So he's going to handle every single thing himself. But I just telling you, I don't think he can go out on the campaign trail. Stop at a stop with his new friend and have them raise their arms in the air and say, here's Canada's new political couple. I don't think he can no. do that. No, but I bet you it's happening behind closed doors. Oof. Okay, we'll see. I, I I'm fascinated to see if indeed. Uh, How it, do you apply for that position? Uh, it, well, are you? <laughs> I don't think Maybe. a LinkedIn resume. Uh, I, I'm no. not sure that uh, that that transpires. Should I take up running? Start running in parks around Rideau? Uh, I I think so. Um, he's <laughs> <laughs> just keep circling the bit. Eventually, a for politicians. Eventually, if you keep circling Rideau, they'll bring you in for questioning. <laughs> if you keep circling, especially if you're driving and a pickup truck at that. I, I would say With my run. last name. Don't take your pickup truck. Please do all those all those things combined. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. We're going to get to this uh, clip um, that, I, that I spotted yesterday. England obviously lost the Women's World Cup on Sunday morning to Spain. So Spain won. Um, and yesterday there was, I didn't see this happen because we actually watched. Um, we were up early. We watched the match at 6 o'clock. And um, my wife and I watched some of the ceremony and the the you know trophy and whatnot. I missed this part, but um, this is ridiculous. Uh, the Spanish uh, Football Association chief has apologized for kissing one of the players on the lips. Awesome, dude! Great. Uh, after he faced calls to resign over unwanted embrace, uh, Luis Rubales kissed Jenny Hermoso. On uh, the lips, he also planted a kiss on the cheek of the goal scorer, Olga Carmano. Uh, as someone who doesn't hug or kiss in the workplace, uh, except on Thursdays, or at all, um, Shiba Siddiqui, your thoughts on this story? <laughs> Uh, so I saw this happen. I saw this right when they won. I saw that this was a clip that emerged. Obviously, everyone was talking about Olga Carmona and how her, her father passed away and they held that information back. And then this story came out. So he's the FA president, Spanish FA president. Um, and the way that it's the way that he kisses her as well. 
It's so aggressive. Like you see the video yeah. in the picture. He grabs her head, like grabs it. And like you can see his fingers are like on the back of her head. He like forces her in and he just plants it right on her lips. And he doesn't do that with any of the other players. Uh, and so obviously people are in an uproar about this. They're upset about this. They're calling for his resignation, uh, which is, I think, what led to him releasing the video apologizing. I wonder if he would have done it if this had not happened. Yeah. The possibility of him losing his job. Uh, I just, I, it's completely inappropriate. It's completely inappropriate. Now, b- because he's not the coach, I, I, I saw it and I was kind of, no, you can't. You, 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 it's, it's not, it, it, it wouldn't have been right 40 years ago. Somehow it would have been more tolerated in 1983. It's as wrong in 1983, in 2023. I Believe me, I roll my eyes sometimes about some of the stuff we talk about. This isn't one of them. But I bring this up because I think players will, with a male coach especially, or male assistant coach, there was a lot of embracing, a lot of hugging. Um, I think sports are different than any other workplace. I really, I, I believe that. So there will be embracing and hugging and swearing and people are going to yell at each other more than in a normal workplace. you got to yell when you're a soccer coach or a hockey coach and players will yell at each other. Everybody knows that. There's more that. emotion, of course. There's Every, more emotion involved. There's more passion involved. You, and that comes across often in a physical manner with your body. Yeah, you take your daughter to the hockey rink and you hear parents yelling. You know, people are yelling at referees. They're yelling at the coach. They're yelling. It's too much, right? Like, it, 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 it's enough to give you a headache. And unlike in soccer, like, soccer fields, I can hear... Everything hockey, it just kind of I don't know whether it's the way the arenas are structured. It about it just sounds like chaos. If you walked into a youth hockey game, you would just hear 38 people yelling at once. And I don't think anybody can actually hear anything anybody is actually saying unless they're right next to you. But that's that's not what this is. No. And, and I get the concept that it's really weird, right? Because he's apologized and it's like, I don't know what there is besides resigning or not resigning. I don't know if there's a middle ground here. I'm like, should the no, guy be canceled be. for the kiss? The no, player might be mortified about that, but the player also might be like afraid to speak up. She's on Absolutely. the World Cup team and she might not want to be like, that was totally wrong what he did. He was a complete jerk, whatever the jerk word is in Spanish. And she might be like, <laughs> like I'm totally offended by that, but I want my spot on the team. And that's not right that she should have to be put in that position to make that decision. Oh, I'm sure there's some intimidation there and just the way that he does it. But, you know, he also did it so publicly. But I'm telling you, if this was a male team, if this was the men's soccer team, this, this never would have happened. We would not be having this conversation. The fact that he felt so entitled to I grab know. her head and the way that he did and just plant one right on her lips. Not to mention that when he was sitting in the crowd, he was sitting beside Queen Letizia, uh, who's the Queen of Spain, mm-hmm. and her 16-year-old daughter, Sofia. And throughout it, they have footage of him uh, grabbing himself as he's yelling at at, I guess the other players on the field oh. sitting sitting right beside her grabbing so he's got he's grabbing himself in obscene gestures uh sitting beside the queen standing beside the queen no good so no, this is no I mean, good it's um, a pattern it's bad uh, all right so this is uh 58 seconds here of a panel show on uh after the world cup loss talking about England's team demographics and the speaker I honestly don't know. I, I looked as hard as I could. I can't identify uh, the the woman on the panel, but the male voice you hear is Wilford Emmanuel Jones, who is a commentator, inspirational speaker, does this, does that. But here's him questioning, to be honest, there's no other way to put it. He questions whether or not England's women's soccer team is too white. Here he goes. The only thing I would say about this picture here 
What jumps out of you is that this doesn't sort of represent diverse Britain. Um, it's all these blonde, blue-eyed girls. And, you know, I, I wish them well. But I do think we need to ask ourselves questions about why is it that we've got... Um, it's so, it has but a lack of diversity. They're, they're playing sport at an elite level. Yeah. And they are from Britain. And they're, they're women. It doesn't make any difference. I think if the whole idea behind this is going to encourage more women to go and into the sport, you need some sort of representation yeah. there to say whatever background you come from, you could get to this sort of level. Because it's Britain important, doesn't look like it? that. Yeah, but and it it's so I mean... important when you speak to these little girls right. that they see someone that they can right. relate exactly. to. Exactly. It makes such a difference. That little girl might then end mm. up playing football yeah. because and... she's seen someone who looks like her. Okay. Shiva, what do you think of the clip and what he says? Okay. I think that there's no doubt and no question that anybody should be in any position based on merit, based on skill, based on what they're great at. That hands down, regardless of what you look like, you should be where you are based on merit. I'm also going to bring up Brazilian soccer star Vinicius Jr. I hope I'm saying his yeah, name. Yeah, you are. Probably. You nailed it. Yeah. Right? Yep. Earlier this this year, I think it was in May, where people were making blatantly racist remarks and gestures towards him. And this brought on the conversation. There's no doubt. And I, I don't follow soccer, Brady, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I learned so much about racism in soccer because of this situation and what happened. And this brought forward so many conversations about um how he's players that black players specifically who have to deal with monkey chants it's terrible i've been at i've been at stadiums where it's happened in, really? in 2000 in charleroi belgium the german fans did it towards wow. english players towards emil and it's like it's literally all the german like the entire like that side of the stadium is just yep. monkey chanting yep that's disgusting it's horrific it's horrific. and there's more subtle forms of discrimination Th these are the black players black soccer players at this elite level that are coming forward talking about this saying such as being left out of national squads or being overlooked for coaching positions yep let me ask you this do you know who viv anderson is no i want to viv say i anderson. should but i don't i don't go ahead okay viv anderson is the first black player to play for england okay this is this is who viv anderson is however there was somebody else before Viv named Jack Leslie. Jack Leslie had a Jamaican father and an English mother. He came up in the ranks. He was phenomenal. This is going back. This is like the 19, 1920s where he was playing. He was unbelievable. He was playing for Plymouth Argyle. Yep, that's right. You got yep, that right. He was playing for Plymouth Argyle. Okay, got that right. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and he was just moving up in the ranks. And there was this article that came out in the newspaper saying that he's going to make it to the top, whatever that top team was back then. Uh, for some charity shield. I'm like, I'm literally, I don't, I don't know these teams, but it was the top team. It came out in the newspaper and it mm. turned out that he was replaced by another player at the last minute. Why? Because the FA selection committee did not realize that he was black. Ridiculous. Of course. Yes. So, so, so this exists in soccer. There's a lot of racism at the in women's soccer. Level? Absolutely. Should all of these players, it, it's a great conversation to have. Why are they all blonde hair, white skinned and blonde haired and blue eyed, whatever he said, this, this I, I I don't know what the youth I, I didn't I, I I reacted viscerally to the comments and I I basically I, I want to say it's a racist comment from from the guy I want to say that because there's no other demographic he'd say that about would we agree about that he would never say that about a basketball team he'd never I, would 
I can't, I don't know what he would say or what he wouldn't, I don't know that. But he raises a question that I think needs to be discussed, which, which is a great conversation that you and I are having. Uh, because there's no doubt there is racism in soccer. We've just discussed this, especially with there, the there is, side of it. There is, but there's no, it, it, it's one of the last meritocracies standing to me. I can't believe for the life of me that the selection committee wouldn't put the best 11 England players out there and the coach wouldn't put the best 11, just like Canada's coach wouldn't. They're putting the best team possible out there. And and I'd make the point as well, 81.7% of England is still white. It's still white. Now, I don't. And does the men's soccer team reflect that as well? Are they? No, it's a lot more balanced. So, what's the difference then? If 81% is still white, why are they so diverse? All I can think of is at the youth level, we're seeing, because we're starting to see breakthroughs. I think we'd agree Nazem Kadri is a breakthrough. PK Subban and his family is a breakthrough. Sarah Nurse plays for the Canadian national team. Darnell Nurse plays. We're seeing a lot more. We're seeing hockey start to. It's hard, right? It's starting to look more like Canada looks, but it's still but a hockey struggle. Is a different, that's a different sport. It's right. a very expensive sport. It's not accessible to everybody. I think that is changing with different programs and opportunities that are being given to diverse kids. And that's why we're seeing. But these I changes. didn't. I didn't love. Why is it matter if they're blonde and have blue eyes? I, you know what yeah, I mean. He, like that's comments. a oh, little too much. Yes, but but it is a conversation worth discussing the racism that happens in soccer and where that starts and, and how young it starts. And, and if if girls of color are discouraged from playing at the upper levels, you're gonna get a mostly white team, and that is a problem. There's no well, doubt. Well, now about you're just it. talking about the greatest sports movie of all time, which is what Bandit Like Beckham. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. But then, but then the coach sleeps with one of the players. He's not supposed to do that, Sheba. We've discussed this. <laughs> this is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. Six forty, Toronto. Speed cameras in family school areas. Um, I got a ticket. I'm gonna raise my hand. I've I've gotten my second ticket in the last six months. My third one in two years. So I have a problem. My name is Greg. It's nice to meet you all. I have a problem, and it's it's all about this scenario here. You have any idea how fast you were going? Well, funnily enough, I was just talking to my friend about that. Our speedometers melted, and as a result, it's very hard to say with any degree of accuracy exactly uh, how fast we were going. That's generally the uh, argument. Now, I don't get stopped, but that's sort of the problem is there's no excuse. I can't have an alibi with a photo radar speed camera. But these hit Toronto and, and some of your neighborhoods in the suburbs. Um, as of 2020, these things became, if you will, um, legitimized again, and you can get a ticket. Now, this is what they tell you, so I don't know if I believe it. You can get a ticket if you're going one kilometer over the speed limit. I'm having people tell me they've gotten a 35 and a 30 ticket because I kind of crowdsourced this last night via the uh, the Twitter X platform, and some of you have told me you've gotten a 35 and a 30. My ticket, and I think it was me in the car, I think, was a 52 and a 40. But I started hearing from people who said, I got a 48 and a 40, a 49 and a 40. So there's two schools of thought here. And I want you to be able to weigh in. And if you haven't got a ticket, or even if you have, your opinion still matters equally. And you can pile up a lot of these tickets clearly and have no demerit points on your record. These do these do not cost you, basically, I don't think, in terms of car insurance, and I don't think they cost you, in terms of uh, potential to go to one of those hearings or whatever, once you've got like 11 demerit points is, I think, the number. I think it has to be over 10. Do we need to have 
some grace given here, some wiggle room. Do we want to live in a society where someone's getting a 42 in a 40 and like a $30 ticket? Do we want to live in a society where we have a 46 in a 40 or is 50 that number for you? I'll admit it. Like, like John Candy there in the clip, like Del Griffiths, the shower curtain ring sales salesman. I, I was wrong. I did the wrong thing. Brady did bad. I won't say that again. I promise. And, uh, and, and I'm going to pay the fine eventually, but I do think we're, we're getting into tricky territory if we're given tickets for eight kilometers over the posted limit, 35s and 30s and 47s and 40s feel with a speed camera. And believe me, I don't want the resources used by the cops to sit there all day. I'd rather they put a fake police car and a fake police officer in the car. Make one of those one of those scarecrow type things just to sit there. I see that in the States all the time where you drive past an intersection and there's a cop car and there's a guy that's just sitting there and he's a mannequin of some sort. Let's just do that instead. Make them famous cops. You could have TJ Hooker sitting there. You could have uh, Don Johnson. I don't think they were giving speeding tickets in Miami Vice. I watched all five seasons. Is this too much? I, I, I think it is. I think 10K has to be the baseline. I don't want to live in a society where we're giving away, we're giving tickets out for 35 and a 30 and 46 and a 40. Lots of texts in on this so far. Let's kick it off with David in Toronto. David, thanks for the phone call. You're on 640 Toronto. You go right ahead. I'll tell you something. Being a driver sucks today. You can't do anything. I mean, they're, they're, they're clearly trying to, um, you know, give every single driver in the city a ticket doing something. You know, it's so frustrating. You know, with these speed cameras, ridiculous. Have you got tickets? I've had multiple tickets. I've had tickets for absolutely everything. Can't park here, can't drive there, running over a bicyclist, you know, almost smashing into a I wouldn't run. I wouldn't be running over bicyclists on no, a regular basis I, if you can I, avoid I, it, David. I, I'm, I'm being sarcastic, but it's like, I you can't know tell. What? <laughs> you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't drive. So it's very clear. I mean, what are they trying to do? You know, put a family four on bicycles? Like, it just makes no sense. I, do you, so what? What would you, what if we have to do these speed cameras, David? What's the limit? I can't. I can't justify giving people a ticket for for tapping the gas pedal and all of a sudden going a thirty five and a thirty and then getting a fifty dollar ticket in the mail. I think that's a, a ridiculous cash grab. I think it's insane. There should be a grace, and I, I think it should either be ten kilometers over or five kilometers over in a school zone, because if you notice, they reduced in, in residential areas. It went from forty to thirty. Yeah. You know, so I, I think I think they should give you a minimum, you know, seven to ten kilometers over, you know, and then some of the uh, uh, you know speed cameras on some of the main streets like Avenue Road, um, you know, maybe ten to fifteen kilometers. There have over to that. be something. And again, I have so many people telling me now. You can imagine people are like the speed limit's forty. It's a school zone. Drive forty. Okay, you can have that perspective. And yes, yes, fifty-two and a forty. This is a me thing. This is a me thing that I've got I've to correct. It's not 68 and a 40. They should take my license away if I'm doing that. I see people come up and down my street. There's, no, there's a school behind us, but not in front of us. And it makes me very mad sometimes to see really fast drivers on our street. I got it. But, but what about a warning? What about a warning if you're under 10? And then, and then they, they, they chart your warning. And the next time you do it, bingo, uh, dollars and cents. Maybe the next time after that, actual demerit points. 
But this just seems to be about money, 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 money. $60 here, $50 here, $82 here. The tickets vary by how fast you're going. I don't think we're asking all that much for some clarification on this. I hear from police officers that say, no, it's set at 10K over, but that might be in some school districts. The people have texted me these photos or DM me these photos of getting a 35 and a 30, and it's too much to me. Joel in North York, uh, thanks for the phone call. You're on Toronto today. Go right ahead, man. Hey, great. Yeah, you know, I don't have any sympathy, man. Uh, <laughs> there's, a reason, there's a reason that that sign is posted. Obey the freaking law. Now, you just said, you know, maybe you should deserve a break. Well, you know what? The city put, puts those there for a reason, because of safety, you know, uh, children and neighborhoods. you got a lot of money. You can afford oh, it. Oh, yeah. I'm ro- you know yeah I'm, I might need a new engine for the car that got towed last night, Joel. Everybody's speeding out there. Nobody's stopping at stop signs. You're bullied if you do the speed limit because you're being honked at or they drive around you. Just obey the law, dude, and you have a good night rest, and you don't have but, to worry about but we don't. Let me counter that. I get it, and I understand that perspective. We don't give away tickets for going a hundred and four and a hundred. We don't give away tickets for going ninety six and a ninety. We've got a, an element of a grace, a grace zone there. So why not? Why not? Why are we giving tickets away for one tap of the pedal that puts you in a forty five and a forty position? Just zero tolerance. Just do it. Just think in your head, I got to do 40, not 41, not 42. Just try it. Just, oh. just see if you can do that. 42 gets me places on time. <laughs> Paul in Toronto, thanks for the phone call. You go right ahead. Hi, yeah, Paul. Hi. Um, I, I agree with the last caller. Uh, the, 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 lim- the post limits are a safety issue. I think, um, I think some leeway is warranted. Maybe, maybe it should be, I think it's relative. So I, I always use like 20%. So I drive 24 and a 20. 36 and a 30, so on. I think if you're just talking a straight 10 over, you know, uh, 30 and a 20 is fairly, can be fairly fast. I right? think so. my 52 and a 40 is a $75 ticket. And again, I, I'm, yeah. I'm guilty as charged. I'm not going to dispute it. I'm going to pay it. But I'd, I'd be angry if you may send me an envelope, Paul, with a 44 and a 40 and you wanted like $26. I think then we're, yeah. then we're just talking about money here. That's what yeah. I think. Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, there's a point where, where where it's relative and it sort of makes sense. I will I will finish that you're so you are wrong on the insurance question. Being in the industry um, after a certain number of hits doesn't matter to, about demerits. It, it does hit your insurance. So you can see if I've got seven school zone speeding tickets. This is uh, concerning. Yeah, your MBR shows everything. Oh, Paul, Paul, I might need a like my car got towed last night. You're telling me? Okay, I mean. Yeah, I may have to go with your company. I may have to. Uh, we may have to have a live auction to be my uh, my car insurance uh, broker on the phone. By the way, this text I like. Hi, Greg. There has to be a variance of speed, and this is a great um, autocorrect. Accuracy of the speedo in the car can be off. If you're speeding with a speedo on in the car, quadruple the fine. Inexcusable. Shirtless guy driving, inexcusable. Speedo guy driving, inexcusable. Tickets every time. Tickets in jail, really. In, in another country, also. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. It's rare. It's rare we have a public health nurses strike in Ontario. And it's not widespread, but it's enough that there could be some collateral damage from it. Belleville area, Hastings, Prince Edward County. Um, it looks like they've done everything they can. And they've been talking about this since... Early June, middle of June, talks between the Ontario Nurses Association and Hastings Prince Edward Public Health just aren't getting anywhere, and there will be a withdrawal of work services. So let's find out more about 
where it's got, how it's gotten here and how it can be minimized. Joshua Davidson Marcon is a ONA bargaining unit president and joins us now. Joshua, thanks very much for the time today. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I lay all that out. Um, look, the, these things don't happen overnight or even within the span of a couple of weeks. This has obviously been a, a flustering, frustrating process for, I would bet you, months now. How far do you go back and go, we should have had a deal done by uh, by this date? Yeah, so we started negotiations in April and that, and those talks broke down. And then again, we had conciliation in June. Also, those talks broke down and um, then the employer filed the no board to move things forward, um, leading to a potential lockout or strike. Um, they informed us that they had no intention to lock us out, even though they started the process of uh, you know job action. Um, with our nurses contract at risk, we had to take a job action. They did present us with a final offer. Final offer didn't change their monetary offer, and the sweetener of their deal was was uh, more of a slap in the face than anything. How does this affect um, what what the residents of Hastings and Prince Edward County get in terms of healthcare? Yeah, so unfortunately, the the public health uh, you know sector it replaces a lot of the gaps or it helps fill the gaps in you know the the, the uh, primary care sector. You know, there's not a lot of family doctors. Um, walk-in clinics are sparse and there's a lot of services that we provide that other places don't provide, you know, like immunizations. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we have breastfeeding support. We support community members from pre-birth all the way, you know, to their to end of life, including, you know, living in long-term care and retirement homes. You know, there's, there was, there's no sexual health clinics right now. Communicable disease work by the nurses is that is it halted healthy baby visit home visits are stopped. Um, you know, I, the harm reduction outreach, we, we support the community that doesn't isn't able to get the support anywhere else. And our nurses are are, are very sad that we had to remove services. You know, we provided a uh, no strike option by offering voluntary arbitration, which the employer swiftly declined. And, you know, it just shows that our nurses really do care about this community. They were willing to sacrifice their right to strike just to be able to continue to do the services that they love. Joshua Davidson, Mark on our guest, ONA Bargaining Unit President. We're talking about the Hastings and Prince Edward uh, public health nurses strike. Is there a recommendation uh, from the ONA that people in uh, emergency situations or I guess it's an emergency if people aren't there or they're having a baby or there's something that is absolutely urgent? Do they go somewhere else? What's the what's the recommendation? Yeah, so I mean, in, typically with public health, we would recommend that any in an emergency situation that you would seek medical attention. Um, you know, public health isn't providing emergency medicine necessarily, but people who are in their prenatal stages or you know are are struggling with um, you know sexual health crises or mental health crises, we would recommend that you know they go to the emergency room in these cases or the primary care provider if they have one. If not, a walk-in clinic or you know using telehealth. Um, yeah. So what when it comes down uh, a few weeks ago that um, the arbitrator settles the Bill 124 dispute and Ontario nurses will get a, a, a notable wage increase over two years, um, that that would say to me there's going to be more labor peace and, and less labor strife. Are these nurses not affected by that? It, they need their own contract anyway, plus is this back pay? How do I clarify what, what Bill 124's? Uh, upheaval means compared to the disputes you're having right now, Joshua? 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you asked that question because that's we commonly get uh, looped into the central contract nurses. So mm-hmm. the centrally contracted nurses are ones who can't go on strike. They their their work is deemed essential, and the government can make they can't strike. So those those uh, decisions always go to arbitration, um, as they typically talks break down at the table. Um, for us, because we're in the right to strike sector, we don't have that uh, mandatory arbitration piece because we we can't we're not mandated back to work. Um, although, like I said, we did offer it. Um, so uh, also, I do want to point out that it wasn't just the lot these next two years that the decision of impacted. It actually impacted the uh, twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one decision as well. Um, because mm-hmm. they had reopeners in case of bill the unconstitutional bill one twenty four was. Uh, you know, rejected in the Supreme Court. So in fact, they they received an additional 5% or not an additional, they received a total of 5% increase uh, where we received just around 3% for those same two years. And we were compared to those nurses and to that, mm. uh, that was the bar that we were set against, you know, say when we were in negotiations for those uh, contracts, the uh, the employer would compare us to the 1% that they were receiving and saying, well, it's better than getting 1%. So, you know, you should just take this offer. And, you know, this is kind of what they're doing it to us now as well. Yeah, I gotcha. Hey, uh, I, I hope you can get back to the bargaining table. I hope you can, uh, uh, you know, seek a proper uh, wage and I hope it, uh, I hope it goes quickly. And I know you do too. Thanks for updating us on this. Yeah, thank you very much. Happy to. Uh, Joshua Davidson Marcon, ONA Bargaining Unit President, uh, joining us on Toronto Today. Remember again, what do we talk about a fair bit? Um, the healthcare employers that are higher up, the people that are, there's a chief medical officer of health that makes $297,000. I don't, I'm not even saying he or she shouldn't make that, but there's tons of directors making 180 grand here, 210 grand here, director of corporate services, $163,000. There's money. We put money in. The question is, does it filter down to the doctors and nurses and the orderlies? My argument is it isn't. It doesn't. And it hasn't been for a long time.